We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a special edition of the Barcelona Podcast, episode 53. Bring you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp Nou, and in particular, the hottest breaking stories about El Clasico, which is coming up this weekend. If you haven't done so yet or are new to the show, please consider subscribing via iTunes at tvpod.link backslash iTunes, or of course, we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and we've got some new announcements. We're also on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Of course, we're always on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod, and myself personally at Hilton D13, so you can speak with either Frances or I on social media. And we're also on Spotify. That's a new place that you can find the show. Frances, we're going to be talking about a Classico, but let's break down some of the things we're talking about today. As you just said, the key question is going to be whether Barca is going to be able to win a Classico. Going to the Bernabeu is never really an easy task, so hopefully our boys can come back with the three points after that one, and we'll analyze that at the start. From then on, we're going to be looking at La Tabla, um, a little bit of a look at um, Barca Femini and also Barca B, how they're doing and how they've done this week. Then it's going to be La Bolsa, looking at players trading up and down. And unfortunately, the one trading down, I'm really gutted about, but all of that to come in a minute. And we're going to finish with the round of questions and a little bit of El Kiosco mixed in there as well. The Barcelona Podcast 53 El Clasico Special starts right here. And of course, that special comes for El Clasico, where Barcelona will be heading to the Santiago Bernabeu on Saturday morning, heading to Madrid in a difficult place to play. And there's so many stats, so many statistics. This is the game where the numbers really do jump off the page at you. But I think the one thing you want to put at the start of this, the headline of this, is the table. Of course, you can't forget what this is all about. This is about getting the points. And with a win at the Santiago Bernabeu, Barcelona would go plus 14 over Real Madrid, over Los Blancos in the table, with Real Madrid, of course, having a game in hand due to their Club World Cup. And having gotten draws against Atletico and Valencia already, that really does, you could say, put Barcelona in pole position to win the league. Undoubtedly, I think that, you know, it's three points and La Liga has got 38 games altogether and it's three plus three plus three plus three every single week. However, the importance of El Clasico cannot be underestimated. Um, You did say Saturday morning, but obviously there's people around the world watching. It could be Saturday night for them. Um, So and in a way that is the the reach of El Clasico, the fact that there's passionate culés and Real Madrid fans, we don't really care about them. 
but there's coolers all over the world, you know, waking up incredibly early. I know it's a 4 a.m. start in the United States. Um, it's a little bit better here in the UK. I think it's noon, 12, you know, at midday. And um, yeah, it's, it's a game that whoever wins it is going to give the other team a psychological blow. Obviously, in Barca's position, if we can be 14 points ahead by the time the, the ball starts rolling at the Santiago Bernabeu, that would be fantastic. But, um, you know, it is a special game. There's a passion behind it. And it is a little bit more than three points, although ultimately all of them do weigh the same. But at the back of everyone's mind, it would be yes. But when we met in December, this happened. So really important game to win. And I think Barca have got everything in place in order to achieve that. And some of the intrigue is that Barcelona is such a different team than the one that lost the Spanish Super Cup on aggregate 5-1. Since that time, Barcelona have only conceded seven goals. And of course, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen at the center of that, our goalkeeper, is in fine, fine form, probably the best of his career. And so it is a different squad. Paulinho has been introduced and is playing a vital spot as a starter right now. So the team that played against Real Madrid, and they're not the same team as well, they a team that looked like they had a fantastic starting lineup in the Spanish Super Cup, and they were flanked by all these young early 20-somethings who were stolen away from Barcelona in the transfer windows. None of them have really found a goal-scoring touch. Of course, the front three of Ronaldo, Bale, and Benzema all have had their difficulties in scoring goals. None of them have more than four goals this season, and that's Ronaldo, two for Bale, and two for Benzema. So they're struggling in that regard. For me, the one player I'm scared of is Isco. And it's the other thing that I'm scared about, Frances, though, is that Barcelona seem like, not to say that they're the favorites right now, but they are the first place in the table. And El Clasico is always that game where, while against Deportivo, it was about the whole team and what they were able to do in that 4 nothing win, just dominating Deportivo as a unit. But El Clasico is the special kind of game that comes down to those individuals, and it comes down to the matchups. You know that we're going to be talking individually about what Marcelo's going to do on the left side. And of course, in this week leading up to it, all the pundits talk about, obviously, the effect that Ronaldo and Messi, but even other guys who could play a part, Sergio Roberto, Nelson Semedo, any player that's going to have a role in this contest is going to be highlighted this week because, of course, in El Clasico, that's the time you become a club legend. Exactly. And I think everything sort of gets thrown up in the air as well. It doesn't really matter how many games you won before or, in a way, how many you're going to win after. It's all about those 90 minutes. You're in the center of the spotlight. Everyone around the whole world is watching and um, you've got a responsibility to defend your badge. And, um, you know, obviously I never got the chance to play a Clásico myself, but I can only imagine what's going through their minds. You know, if you're, say, you're Sergi Roberto, everyone in your family, everyone around Barcelona, everyone whoever sees you is going to be talking to you about it, cheering you on all week. And, you know, with all due respect, you don't get that when you're going to play against Eibar or Oviedo, you know. So it is a great amount of responsibility on your shoulder. But because you're a professional and, and you know, where you train for this all your life, it really does build you up. And um, it, it should, and in most cases it does, inspire you to perform at your absolute best. Um, as you mentioned briefly when you were talking just now, Barca are coming to the Clásico in a very strong position. And uh, I'm not necessarily just talking about results, although results are great. Obviously, 13 wins in La Liga and only three draws, still unbeaten. And I think that the team has gotten to a point in which they are incredibly consistent. The lines have become much closer between players. 
and in a way the team is stronger than last season. You could argue that that is down to Valverde, the fact that he's adapted to the needs of the squad. Losing Neymar in the summer was obviously a blow, which was intentionally replaced with Dembélé, but unfortunately he got injured very early in the season, and it is only natural that Valverde looked at the needs of the squad and, and moved players around in order to get the best out of the quality players that he had. Although, as I just mentioned, the squad did diminish in quality over the summer overall. Um, however, the ethos behind it, the cooperation, the fact that everyone's collaborating, especially sort of taking care for players like Iniesta, players like Suarez in terms of you know the struggle that he's gone through but he's been supported throughout and he seems to be shining a little bit more lately, particularly in the last couple of weeks. The fact that the formation has been tweaked and adapted and Valverde is most likely going to go for a 4-4-2 that was successful when we played against Juventus, particularly away from home. So a lot of factors to be happy about and um, optimism, I think, is the word going into this game. And um, let's face it, there really isn't that much to lose because if you lose the game, you still have a comfortable distance from Real Madrid, but if you do risk a little bit and you do go on to win it, that's those 14 points, you know, it's a long league, but you could say they're going to be decisive and the title will be pretty much in our favor if we manage to win at the Bernabeu. Well, let's talk starting lineup, Frances. For me, there's eight guaranteed starters with the other three spots, I'd say up in the air, depending on the formation and the direction that Ernesto Valverde goes. For me, obviously, it's going to be Ter Stegen in goal. We all agree on that. Jordi Alba is going to be on the left. Gerard Piquet is going to start. You're going to see Sergi Busquets, who didn't play in that Deportivo game due to his yellow card accumulation. Not that he was suspended, but if he had picked up a yellow card in that game, he would be suspended for the Clasico, so he'll be featuring. Of course, Andres Iniesta will get the start. I expect to see even Rakitic starting this contest, and he actually had a pretty good interview as well with Sky Sports, where he shed light on the defensive responsibilities that Barcelona are going to have in comparison to a lot of the different teams that they've played this year, particularly on the wings. And I expect, obviously, that Luis Suarez and Lionel Messi are going to be up top. Now, the formation used, we both agree, and everyone kind of says that it's going to be the 4-4-2 that Valverde has been putting out there this year. Now, there have been some rumblings that the right back will be Nelson Semedo, and that potentially a right winger or the right midfield spot will be Sergio Roberto. And I've, of course, heard a few people say it could be a 4-3-3 with him being up top. But I, again, that's not the way Valverde's been doing things, especially, as you had mentioned, just like in that Juventus game on the road, they're going to just try to get the points, or at least they're going to try to get one point, And that becomes more important than taking those risks and getting the draws if you're, and getting the victory, excuse me, if you're Valverde. So it could either be Nelson Semedo at right back and Roberto at the right midfield position, or it could be Roberto or Semedo. Most likely it'll be Sergio Roberto at the right back position. And then you'll see Paulinho tucked in right behind Suarez and Messi, where he's really been thriving. And particularly in the two goals he obtained against Deportivo, he's got six goals on the season already. So that matches the total of Ronaldo and either Bale or Benzema. So Paulinho has found his goal scoring form. And I'm interested to see the way Valverde does it. I tend to say and go with my gut in that it's going to be Sergio Roberto at the right back position and I'll have Paulinho tucked in behind Suarez and Messi. So it'll basically be the same starting lineup that we saw 
against Deportivo last weekend, with the final question then being, does Mascherano come back into the starting lineup for Vermelion? And as you had mentioned in last week's show, which we recommend everybody check out, it was episode 52, I say Vermelion is in the proper form right now to get the start, and it's not about his career, it's not about all the great things that Mascherano did, unfortunately, this time around, but it's about the player that's been playing and, in, and is finding good form and should be the starter for a Clasico. I agree with you. I think there are two different options to discuss here. Is what would your 11 be and what's the 11 Valverde is going to, to pull out in there? Uh, my 11 would be a 4-3-3 with Semedo at right back and Sergio Roberto in the front three. Obviously, I would put Alcácer in there, but um, as we... Unfortunately, all know he got injured in the last game in La Liga. So I will have Sergio Roberto in the front three um, as a right winger so that if needed, he could pull back. And, um, you know, let's face it, Marcelo is going to be a constant nightmare, as he always is, particularly at the Bernabeu. So I think having Sergio Roberto in front of him and Semedo behind Roberto um, to beat, it would be basically dimming down that threat that Real Madrid always have from the left flank uh, via Marcelo and, and the different people he associates with, but mainly is the Brazilian fullback moving forward. Um, as you mentioned, I think I also expect a 4-4-2 and Paulinho is going to be there in the middle doing what he does. Um, <laughs> please know I'm not defining what he does because I still don't quite understand what he does um, and how he moves from one place to the other, but um, I think that you can't really argue against six goals um, already for the season, two assists, and the fact that he seems to be in the right place at the right time. Um, he's not a traditional Barca midfielder. He's got very little of Xavi in his passing, let's face it. But I think that the ability to drop from deep, particularly when unexpected, is a very powerful weapon that Barca are exploiting. I mean, going no further, just last time round against Deportivo, he scores a double, which, you know, he didn't really do much for that play but it happened to be at the end of it when it was needed um, and I think that his ability to move between the lines can really hurt Real Madrid because it's a variation of the Barca traditional style and in a way they may not be very ready to, to, to counter that so I think that Real Madrid should be wary of Paulinho and you know go back four months I wouldn't have really ever predicted that I would say that sentence but there you go you just had it and I think that if the game it's a little bit sort of transition-based, meaning that Barca attack, but then Real Madrid come back very quickly, which, you know, it's very possible that will happen, then Paulinho will have a role to play. Um, I don't think that the game's going to be controlled by Barca throughout. Um, that's what you would expect with a 4-3-3 formation, but I do expect Barca to have more possession than Madrid. And um, I think Paulinho's inclusion could be, and it definitely will be what Valverde will do, but it could be um, a powerful weapon in our favor. And Paulinho recently, I think it was just yesterday, gave an interview where he talked about how when he sees Messi get on the ball, his strategy, it's not some crazy tactical idea that's been drawn up and exactly how many feet away or yards away he needs to be. But when he sees that Messi's going down the left side and has the ball at his feet, Paulinho says he just runs the other way and then tries to just run parallel to Messi. And that's always a pretty good idea. And also, again, it's just one of those simple things that you mentioned that he has just a knack for getting in between those lines. And that's what makes him so dangerous offensively. And you're right, though, too. I'd say that 
we complained in the in the preset. We can own up to being wrong about his signing that he has continued to surprise Kool-Aids around the world, and that again I stick by spending that much money on a an older midfielder, almost thirty, and that is a big risk. And I still disagree with taking those kind of big risks. But Paulino, as the player, certainly has proved us wrong, and I I wholeheartedly do agree with the fact that he's a different guy than Barcelona usually have. He doesn't fit the Barcelona mold, and that is going to be something that Real Madrid is going to have to game plan for. And I love the fact that Real Madrid are going to have to prepare and work at trying to figure out, not even Iniesta or Messi or Suarez or all the regular characters, but instead they have to game plan and figure out how to worry about the 29-year-old Brazilian that came from China and kind of came out of nowhere. And you look at all their marquee signings and all the young players that, again, even Marco Asensio is out of form right now. The Really the one guy in tremendous, tremendous form for Real Madrid is, of course, as we mentioned, Isco. And Luka Modric, who had a very, very good Club World Cup, is coming back in fine form. So, it's all, again, it's always going to come down to that battle in the midfield. But for me, Iniesta, Alba, Ter Stegen, Luis Suarez are in pretty fine form. And, of course, to a degree, Gerard Piquet is rounding in the form. And Sergio Roberto has come back pretty strong from injury. But somehow we got through this whole time without talking about who will, of course, be the man of the hour for Barcelona, as he always is, and that's Lino Messi. And when you talk about a Clasico, while Barcelona is a team, Messi always seems to come up for this game. He's won nine of the 18 games he's played at the Santiago Bernabeu. There's been a lot of good media out there chronicling all the great moments that Messi has had against Real Madrid, and we'll just run through some of them. And Frances, I'd love if you told me your favorite. In 2005, the Real Ronaldinho double in a 3-0 win, and Messi gets his first goal against Real Madrid. 2009, the 6-2 win, a double from Messi, and that wins Barcelona the league. The 2014 hat trick in the 4-3 win. And then in 2017, of course, which I'll say is, again, it's recent memory, but it's also my favorite one because it came so late, and it was just such an important goal. I would say for me, the most impressive Messi performance against Madrid, and, you know, it is great that we've got so many to choose from, but... I was thinking about it this morning, and um, for me, he's at 19 years old, he scores a hat-trick. Um, obviously, that was at the Camp No, it wasn't at the Bernabeu, but he's 19. You know, who, who do we have at 19 years old in La Masia right now that can come up technically out of nowhere and score a hat-trick? There's, there's not going to be another Messi probably ever in the history of our club, and, and we need to count ourselves lucky to have witnessed his career from the start and having him defending our badge. Um, at the Bernabeu, I think I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, for me, it's the Champions League semi-finals in which he just scores the, the winner. Well, we were already ahead, but you know his performance, his second goal against Real Madrid in the middle of the Pep Guardiola-Mourinho battles, I think it was 2011-2012 season. The guy is spectacular, you know, and I think that as great as he is, he becomes like <laughs> Dragon Ball Z speech. He's a super guerrero, so a super saiyan. He, he goes up to the next level. He's got kryptonite in his veins. And uh, when he goes to uh, Santiago Bernabeu, he just steps it up even further. And, um, you know, there's a clear example that this week there was this guy that went to the Marca Award ceremony and uh, he won La Liga Fantastica, which is like fantasy sports that Marca ran, Marca the newspaper from Madrid. And the guy went up to get his trophy and he goes, yeah, um, I am a Real Madrid fan and I'm very happy to win this this award. But, you know, Lionel Messi sat opposite him. He was sat opposite him at the time and he goes, 
I just want to say that Messi is the best player in the world. I am a Real Madrid fan, but I'm not blind. And I think that that sentence really um, closes the debate forever and ever. And uh, I can't wait to see Messi terrorizing Real Madrid again on Saturday. Just a few more points on El Clasico with our breakdown. Simple question, will Iniesta play all 90 minutes if he has to? He won't, will he? Um, I think Valverde has been reserving him throughout the, the whole season. Um, last weekend round, he played 55 minutes against Deportivo. Um, I was reading an article this morning. He's gotten injured, not majorly injured, but four times this season already. Um, little niggles here and there that, you know, in a way, m- muscular discomfort throughout. Um, a little bit of a pain here, a bit of a bit of pain there. Um, and Valverde has been taking care of him very well. Um, not playing too many minutes and in a way the important thing for Iniesta is to be fit around February, March, April when titles are actually decided as important as a Clasico is if he's not fully fit and firing in all cylinders I think Valverde is going to take him off having said that I definitely expect him to start and let's say 65 to 70 minutes of Iniesta we will see but um, what I'm seeing this season is when he gets to that point He's lacking a little bit of steam, which is natural. The guy has had so many injuries over the years and he's 33 years old that probably in the last 20 minutes you've got someone else coming on. Um, naturally, it's probably going to be Denis Suarez, but don't be surprised if it's someone like Andre Gomez or even Sergio Roberto if he wasn't to start. But um, I think that Iniesta's magic and particularly the, the game he had against Deportivo last time round was exceptional and uh, that's the Iniesta we want to see again. Yeah, Valverde has enjoyed putting on Andre Gomes in important moments in important games to close out games in Juventus, Atletico Madrid. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a result to be had there, even a draw, that Andre Gomes doesn't come off the bench late in that one if Barcelona don't necessarily need or in desperate need of a goal. Now, the one and only thing we haven't talked about yet, really, is we've kind of broken everything down leading into this game, is this whole honor guard business. And Frances, of course, our, our listeners can go back and read about that. And it's that Barcelona are refusing to do this honor guard for the Club World Cup won by Real Madrid. And I feel like the teams don't really care too much about this, and I don't think we should care too much either. Well, yeah, it's been huge in Spain, uh, particularly the Madrid media. They like picking at things. Um Basically, back home is called El Pasillo, which is the Guard of Honor. I think that's what you referred to just now. Uh, but El Pasillo is basically a show of respect for the champion. Now, Real Madrid haven't really won that much this season, but they went off and became club world champions last week, uh, completing the season of five titles, which, a little bit of an aside, it's not six, is it? It's only five say only in inverted commas, but we've got a couple of sixes. So, um, yeah, even Real Madrid's best season is not as good as our best one. But, you know, let's leave that for one moment. And they're coming back saying that they want us to clap them on the way out of the Bernabeu um, for honouring their great achievement to beat Gremio in the final. Um, Not going to happen. Not going to see very well. Wouldn't see very well with all culés around the world. And... I don't think we should do it. Not being unsporting or anything, it's just the fact that we didn't really play that competition. So if they beat us in La Liga, for example, and they come to the Camp Nou on the last game of the season, then yeah, we will clap them because we were competing for the same same trophy. But this is not what happened this time round. So, you know, if I, if I make up the 
I don't know, the purple elephant cup and I play it and I win it, then I'm not going to expect him to go back to the Bernabeu and being clapped for it because you didn't play it. So I think that's the whole um, thinking behind it. It was funny as well because in El Chiringuito, which is one of the most extreme Spanish-speaking uh, roundtable debates about Barca and Madrid, so it's an ongoing football show they have every night, um, they voted for it and the vast majority of listeners and the audience of this program are Madrid-based and Madrid fans and actually it wasn't that clear that they actually thought that Barca should do this so it's a non-story and I am delighted that Guillermo Amor went out and confirmed that no we're not going to do it because we didn't play the same competition which I fully agree with. So before we get to La Tabla Frances I think I'd like to go off script real quick and just almost make an agreement that you and I are both going to say, or we'll say we'll make a pact that even though there are a lot of built-in excuses for Barcelona, I think here, between the injuries to Dembele, Umtiti, Paco Alcacer most recently, I don't think even in a loss that we should make excuses. I think what we'll do on the next show, of course, is we'll dissect some of the things that went right or wrong for the team. But when you look at this one, I think this is the moment when you put your trust for all the characters and all the players that are going to be on the pitch. It's the time when you put your trust in Ernesto Valverde. And if he gets it wrong, he gets it wrong. And it's a match on the road. And as you said, I don't want to downplay a potential loss if they don't get a result where, again, they are still first in the table and it's the El Clasico on the road. So then that puts all the pressure on the El Clasico at the Camp Nou in the new year. And as I said, I, I don't think we need to make excuses in this one, win or lose. Absolutely not. Fully agree. I think the important thing is that the 11 players that go on the pitch, they compete and they defend our pride. Uh, there's millions of fans that are going to be you know, waking up at stupid o'clock in the morning to watch this um, in the United States, um, in China, in Japan. The, the whole of the world will be watching. We can't have any excuses. Obviously, it would be better with Umtiti in there. It would be better if Dembele was fully fit. And it would be better if, say, Neymar hadn't left. But that's where we are right now. That's the players we've got. Um, there's no reason to doubt we are unbeaten so far. So there's no reason to doubt our skill and the fact that the team has become more solid this season. We need to go for the win from the very beginning. Um, sure, is the, Real, is the Real Madrid Bernabeu and there's going to be 100,000 um, merengues shouting at us and disrespecting us throughout the game. But how exciting is that if you're a Barca player? That's what you sort of work all your life to get to. And um, it is a great opportunity to basically kill La Liga because if you win, you go 14 points ahead and... Because of that, we need to go and give everything we've got. Closest precedent was La Supercopa in the summer. Teams were in totally different positions. Madrid seemed to be unbeatable and about to start a dynasty. And Barcelona had just lost Neymar. And in a way, we thought we were going down the hole. But, and we obviously lost 5-1 altogether um, with both games when you added them up in aggregate. But four months later, we are on top. Real Madrid are on a sort of road to nowhere. Fair enough, they just won the Club World Cup, but let's face it, they were always going to win that. And I think it's a golden opportunity to compete from the very beginning and show who's boss right now. Um, sure, it is three points, and every game has three points at stake, but these ones are a little bit more important, and the psychological blow we could give them if we beat them would be definitely worth fighting for. So let's go out and compete and hopefully get the three points back to the Catalan capital. 
Well, as positive as things are for the first team, we're going to move on to the tabla. Well, unfortunately, some bad news at Barcelona B. After a 3-1 loss to Cadiz on Friday and then a one nothing loss to Albaceta on Tuesday, they're remaining in the relegation zone at 19th in the table. And we're going to talk about them in greater detail. Again, this was El Clasico, so we don't have as much time to get into the weeds with Barcelona B, but I can guarantee that Francesca and I are going to talk more about the future of Gerard Lopez and the Barcelona B problems that are going on. All we'll say right now is, again, they have a little bit of time now to figure things out, reset, and Ernesto Valverde was even at the game against Albaceta, so he's aware of what's going on there. And most recently, Carlos Alenia, who we also recommend... Of course, Francesa and I write on Francesa's blog, barcelblog.com, where most recently, even yesterday, we had an article about Carlos Alenia and his importance to the B team. So you can read all that stuff about the B team and some of the struggles that they're going through on barcelblog.com. But Alenia came out even in the past 24 hours after that game against Albacete and said that the players are to blame and that they need to right the ship and they need to figure things out here. Yeah, I agree. Um, but... In a way, the, the most important point to take out of it is that Valverde was there. Uh, Luis Enrique never really went to the, the mini study to watch Barca B play, and Valverde is getting involved, he's getting stuck in. He wasn't by himself. Pep Segura, Jonas Piazu, and Jose Maria Vaquero, Vaquero, our captain from the Dream Team, who's now part of the um, the staff and the, the club, were all in there. And I think that this indicates two things. First, that Valverde really truly values what the youngsters can bring to the first team. Second, that the board realized that it is important to have that connection back up again, you know, because um, during the Luis Enrique era, particularly in the last couple of years, there seemed to be a detachment and not a full understanding between Gerard Lopez and Luis Enrique himself. So I think that the father Valverde is getting stuck in and um, adding his point of view. Um, to the current situation would help. Um, don't necessarily like them being at the relegation zone, but I want to just reiterate that the important thing is to grow these players and going through such a difficult time and having the pressure of winning is part of learning. And that is learning that they wouldn't get in the first team. So in a way, I am happy about the fact that this situation is, is happening, but obviously I'll be much more delighted when the whole thing turns itself around. We've got a winter transfer window coming up and I, I'm not going to say I trust the board to fix it, but I hope the board can come up with some solutions, whatever they may be, and uh, we can come out of this hole. Well, a team that did come out of what was a week-long or brief hole was the Barcelona Femini. And so having that, we'll say the three-way dance with Rayo Vallecano, who beat Atletico Madrid... And then Barcelona Femini winning last week put them back top of the table. And so they had a matchup against that same Rayo Vallecano team that defeated Atletico Madrid this past week. They won 2-1. It was a hard-fought battle on the road. Goals by Patricia Guillaro and Tony Dugan, who continues to fire the lady from the UK. And so Barcelona Femini are heading into a long overlay, just like the B team. They don't play now until the first week of the new year. So they have a little bit of time off. And for the Barcelona Femini, must deserve time off as they head into the break, top of the table. Yeah, superb. Um, happy for Dagan once again getting in the score sheet. But more importantly, the team is winning and uh, it's great to see. So hopefully there can be some contagious vibes going from the Femini team to the Barca B team um, in the near future. 
So at this point in the show, we'll just say that if you're enjoying what you're hearing, we just please ask you, implore you to click on the show notes wherever you're listening now and subscribe to the channel, subscribe to the show, and so we can continue to make these shows, and we appreciate you doing that. So let's head on to La Bolsa, Frances. Let's do that. Um, we sort of mentioned this already, so I'm going to be a little bit quicker today. The first player trading up is Paulinho. Um, he was superb against Deportivo. Not necessarily in the way that he played the game and, and controlled the ball and distributed, because that's not really him. Just the fact that he could find himself into the right places at the right time. Um, he played all over the pitch. He started as um, interior izquierdo, which is not the left winger, but the left midfielder, left attacking midfielder. He was intense throughout and he played pretty well alongside Rakitic and Iniesta when he was there. And basically he scored a double, um, contributing very well to the team, uh, taking his tally to six goals for the season. Also trading up this week, and I'm delighted to say that we've got Luis Suarez. Luis Suarez has been under fire for a long time. Um, I remember, I would say a couple of months back, we were questioning his future at the club and whether he was always going to come back um, to form. We did say at the time we need to continue to trust him and um, things will eventually turn around. And I think they have begun to do that. Um, he scored the 1-0 against Deportivo after a messy assist. Um, at times I felt that they were just sort of saying, no, you score now, no, you score now, no, you score now. And uh, they were being very generous with each other. And I think Messi really, truly values the fact that he knows that without Suarez, Barca are not really going to achieve much success this season. So he's trying to help him back up. I think that Suarez's finishing has improved dramatically. Um, I think his, his second goal, the, the second finish that he had, was full of confidence. It was a clear contrast. There was a shot by... Um, Vidal at some point that in a way was very similar to the one that Suarez had to had to um, execute later but you could see night and day in terms of confidence and in terms of caliber of finishing so I am delighted to say that Luis Suarez seems to have his mojo back which is great and the last player trading up today again we've already sort of mentioned so going to be quick it's Andres Iniesta he was just magical against Deportivo he only played 55 minutes but that is a masterclass um if my little girls ever grow up to be footballers, I am definitely going to be showing them that game, those 55 minutes of magic. He was all over the pitch. He did everything and he did everything right. Um, he is the perfect companion to Messi. He understands Jordi Alba's runs. He seems to be <laughs> seems to be the only person who understands Paulinho and where he's going as well, which is, which is remarkable. And um, I think that, yeah, he's just legendary and he proved once again that there's going to be a world of football before Iniesta and everyone else after is just going to take glimpses of what he did in order to learn and be better. Um, trading down, it's not someone who didn't perform and it's not someone who is struggling, which I think is the first time we actually do this because normally we always have someone to pinpoint. Um, it's Paco Alcácer. Paco Alcácer was, has been great in the last month particularly and he was given the start against Deportivo but unfortunately, he got injured just after 20 minutes. Um, so he's not trading down because of his performance. He's trading down because of the bad luck that he had. And uh, I would say, I think there cannot be any doubt that if he was fit, he would have played the vast majority of the minutes against Depor and he would have been starter at the Bernabeu. So um, huge sort of psychological positivity 
um, being sent to Paco Alcácer from me at this moment in time. I really am gutted that they won't be able to take any benefit out of his goal-scoring skill against Madrid because we could have done with that. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, Francis, that Paco Alcácer would have been that starter. He was finally finding his form just like Luis Suarez. And it's funny that two of the three guys you mentioned, Suarez and Iniesta, those are the guys that I think Kules feel the calmest about if they're in form heading into El Clasico. And for me, I've got two. They're not people trending up or trending down, but trending up for Barcelona is certainly the woodwork. Three times Messi hits the woodwork against Deportivo. They've now hit the woodwork 14 times this season, potentially 25 in all. And this is not a confirmed number, but it's been said about 25 times in all competitions. And that's just a staggering number for me. The number of goals that Messi could potentially have if he had were, uh, excuse me, he's got eight more goals than any other player in the Liga as is, and he's hit the woodwork as many times as he had so far this year. And for me, Frances trending down, if you look at Luis Suarez, and we talked about his confidence seemingly building greater and greater in the Deportivo game, when he tried the Robona at the, for the technically the third goal, well, for me, trending down is again La Liga's lack of goal line technology where, again, this offseason, we're going to continue to harp on it, but this offseason, there has to be some kind of change. It's just not that it's costing Barcelona too many goals, but just across the league this year, Hatafe have had some bad luck. Malaga have had certainly a ton of bad luck when it came to goal line technology. Villarreal had one called off. So there's just tons of things happening that need to change in the Liga to improve the league and and catch up to the rest of the top leagues around the world. So, Frances, should we head on to El Kiasco? Yeah, let's do that because goal line technology really does annoy me. It's costed us four points in the last month. And in terms of the goals, I think I think own goal is trending down a bit as well because he hasn't scored for, what, three games? And uh, he was a top goal scorer after Messi for a while. Um, so yeah, yeah, let's move on to El Kiosco because there's so much nonsense that we could be spending hours talking about that our listeners just don't want to hear. We've got two big stories to talk about Well, with El Kiosco. The first one with Javier Mascherano, who again, an article was written on Barca blog in the past week. You can read all about his contributions and I make an argument in that article about how Mascherano for as bumpy as his exit seems like it's going to be. I just want to say that the players had such a great career, and I praise him in that article a lot. But it looks like he's reportedly heading to China, 10 million euros. He'll leave once Umtiti returns and head to Haibei Fortune. And again, apologies to our Chinese Super League fans, just like when we used to talk about Paulinho. I'm not necessarily, my pronunciation might not be the best for the Chinese Super League. But nevertheless, a player who had 18 titles at Barcelona. And I think, Frances, we can say that we're going to talk more about this when this is finalized. Yeah, we are. I just see. I just think that for now, we'll just say that it's pretty much confirmed. Um, no one has denied it. And, you know, he's released close to 100 million euros. And his contract ends in June 2019. But obviously, I don't think there's anyone out there who truly believes we're going to get 100 million from Mascherano. So getting 10 million right now, uh, given the fact that he's given absolutely everything for seven seasons, he's reinvented himself. He's always been professional. He has been exemplary throughout and he now wants out. Um, I would keep him, but then again, I didn't expect we're going to have 10 million euros coming into the bank for him. So based on the offer and the situation, I I would say I've changed my mind and I would let him go now just um, as long as Samuel Untiti can be fully recovered and we've got um, another signing coming in 
um, whether it be Jerry Mina, which seems to be the summer, and Daily Blind from Manchester United has been linked as well. There's even been reports saying that David Luiz has desperately sort of thrown his name and offered himself to come to Barca, uh, but I don't think there's any truth on that. And to be honest, I don't really want him anymore. At 30 years old, he's going to be more expensive. Um, so uh, in a way, as I said in the previous podcast, I would just like to have Costas promoted to the first team or remaining in Barca B and called up whenever needed. So, you know, going back to the original point, Mascherano, 10 million euros, if he's unhappy and wants to go at this moment in time, seems reasonable. And uh, yeah, we will talk about it in more depth because he really deserves us to, to do so. But good move for the club, good move for him and all the best in the future, really. Yeah, we certainly didn't have him as the first to go when we were talking so many times about Arder Turan and Vermelian in the past before he found a role in the team. And even Pacuaca there, Andre Gomes, Denis Suarez, Rafinha. So again, Mascherano wasn't the player that you would expect it at the top of your queue to leave the club. But again, a deal is a deal. You get his wages. You get the 10 million euro to sign somebody else with. So I think, again, we'll talk about him later. And then we have to talk about the other piece of El Kiosco today, the other piece of news. And that is, it's kind of twofold in that, what a week for Antoine Griezmann and none of it good, where this is all completely off the pitch. Well, first, I'll make a statement for you, Frances. Uh, again, I think you'll agree with me that for the picture that Antoine Griezmann had put on social media for, for in, in costume in the past week, we give thumbs down for every goal that Messi has scored at Barcelona. You can't continue to say how silly and just a, such a bad idea that was. And again, for those who say culturally, then maybe, again, it, he might not have known that it's a problem. Well, it's certainly an issue. And anyone could have told him that if he had just asked. And we would ask, as we try to do, where we try to think and we try to ask our brains and engage our brains before we engage our fingers and post things on social media. So again, that's all we need to say about that garbage that Griezmann had to do. And hopefully he can apologize, put that behind him. But Barcelona could be in a little bit of hot water as well. Guillermo Amor answered a very vague question the other day, basically saying that if reports in the papers about Griezmann potentially coming to Barcelona and contact with his family are in the paper, then potentially it's true. So that is a big red flag, and Atletico Madrid has then complained, and there has been an official complaint made to FIFA about Barcelona particularly tampering with contact with Antoine Griezmann trying to get the player. And for me, it's incredible, Frances, that all of these big clubs do this. And the bad thing about this is that if Barcelona are caught and they're said that this is a, something that they did, they could be up to two transfer bans. And that is a long time. It's a stupid thing to say, isn't it, really? He goes, maybe there has been an approach and there could have been an understanding with Griezmann, so an agreement with Griezmann. It's work that the club usually does. How stupid can you be? You know, like, it It really, I don't have words to describe it. It's, I really don't have words to describe it. Like, like, if you're cheating in an exam, you say, oh, yeah, I may have used my calculator and I may have had all my formula written down and I may have been looking at my, you know, my partner over here and I may have been <laughs> using phone a friend during the test. What, what a stupid thing to say. Just... Every club does do it. It's clear every club does it. Uh, Real Madrid have been done for it. Atletico have been done for it. We have been done for it as well. Clubs in England doing continuously. If a, if someone's contract is coming to an end, 
it's natural that people are going to be um, talking about it. Uh, but you just don't go to the front of um, Movistar Plus or whoever's broadcasting the game and just say, yeah, we, pr- we probably maybe supposedly did this and we maybe reached an agreement. It just makes no sense whatsoever. It really doesn't. It's just, to me, it screams unprofessional. Not unprofessional, the fact that you're trying to sign players, which, again, everyone does do it, you know? And it's not just the big clubs. I know for a fact, uh, because of my connections, I know that Benfica does it as well. I know that, you know, the signing of Nolito, for example, I know for a fact that that went on um, several years ago. Um, I know that at youth level within Catalonia, that does happen as well. So it really makes no sense. And in a way, it screams unprofessional and unprepared and immature in a way that you will go and admit to something like that, knowing that um, there's going to be people waiting to go to FIFA to complain about us so they can hurt our chances in the future. It's, it's not a very clever thing to do. Yeah, with the players and the team playing so well and Ernesto Valverde doing such a good job at the helm, we haven't really complained much about the board since the vote of no confidence was um, was broken down. But they're going to be back under the spotlight for the winter transfer window. And not only that, but if, when they say things like this and do things like this, it's not a good look for the board. And we have to remember that this is still not a board that Kool-Aid's have a ton of confidence in. They gained confidence because of Paulinho, because of the, the Valverde hiring so they've done a good job in some aspects and Barcelona playing well so they're not under as much scrutiny but can't remember that they have had a ton of missteps and it doesn't stop those missteps from happening and even there's for the Barcelona B a little again aside that we were you and I were on about um, Twitter with one of our former interviews in Mohamed Butt that they were going to sign Jose Pozo a creative midfielder who played for Man City at youth level, had some injuries, and has recently refound his form in the Segunda Division for Almeria. And apparently Barcelona are not willing to pay more than 1 million euro, and the club in Almeria wanted 3 million. So that was the difference between signing this player for Barcelona B and potentially a player to play in the first team, and they think it's just too much. And that being 3 million, the difference between 1 million. And while it's good to be shrewd at moments, it's silly to me that, again, not to go back to Coutinho, we just have to mention him every show, so let me get it out of the way, that, you know, instead of paying $120 million for Coutinho, why don't you pay $117 million for Coutinho and $3 million for Pozo, and now you have an opportunity to get a 21-year-old creative midfielder that was available. I don't know. It just, while not to say we're snake-bitten by the Asensio and th- uh, issue and things like that, or Douglas and all of that, yada, 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 it just... I feel like the board, there's these tiny little things that they're doing that I hope they don't add up to be something very negative. And comments like this is something that could add up to be very negative in a short amount of time. So, Frances, that said, I think we need to move on to LaRonda or the quick fire questions. So let's get right to it. We've got five questions today, and we've got just about five, six minutes to answer them as well. Lucia asked, Will Mascherano participate in what seems to be, and obviously we know probably will be, his last El Clasico? And she said, I'm sad about his departure. Well, Lucia, I think he might come in later to close out a result as a defensive substitution. I agree. I think that there's no reason to take a Fermalin out of the game now. He's been in the formation for, I think it's five games now. He's done very well. Um, He's remained healthy, which was always going to be the question mark about his shoulders. 
and I think that he's done very well. So Mascherano coming out of injury um, shouldn't really be thrown into the starting eleven. He can definitely be an addition in the second half if Alberto thinks that's what the team needs. Athletic FC asks, is El Clasico the most important match for us and why? And we did kind of answer this. I think while the answer is obviously yes, it is because you want to take that kind of lead against Real Madrid. This is the first El Clasico of the season on the road at the Santiago Bernabeu. So my answer is, is this the most important match of this season? Certainly not. Those matches are going to come in the spring. I agree. I think that is three points. Uh, the psychological blow of a potential win is not to be underestimated, but ultimately, take all the hype away. It's three points that add up to the total of La Liga, which let's hope that we can win this season again. Christo asks, and we always thank Christo for his questions. Hey guys, what's your favorite classical memory? And I think you answered yours already, right? The hat trick by 19-year-old Messi? Yes, in La Liga, it was that. It was the incredible energy and, and the factor of surprise that this youngster just had and, and the ability to just come out and take a starring role in front of the eyes of millions that that will never be repeated and for me that was great to witness so in La Liga that is my favorite memory for me for El Clasico my favorite memory and I mentioned some of the good ones and obviously my heart will forever be with Messi and Iniesta, and I'll tell my grandchildren and hopefully great-great-grandchildren about those two players. But my favorite El Clasico memory and individual moment, I don't even remember the year, but it was, I think it was the 6-2 win when Xavi played a ball over the top of the defense into Terry Henry that he ran onto, finished beyond Casillas one time, and he wound up falling on the floor and he's watching the ball slowly roll into the net. And for me, as I said, I love Iniesta. I love Messi. But there was something I always enjoyed about Terry Henry's short time at Barcelona. And so for me, that pass by Xavi Hernandez was about as perfect as it gets. And it ends with a just a, a classic Terry Henry one-touch finish that, of course, he did so much at Arsenal. But he had a few moments at Barcelona. And so it's hard to pick with all the cl- classical moments. They're the big ones. As, it, as we said last year, Messi with that 90th minute goal and Ronaldinho, his goals where he just tore a young Sergi, Sergio Ramos apart. But again, for me, I think it's just that a, a wonder class pass from Xavi leading to that goal in, in what was a route. And I think the one that we haven't mentioned as well, Frances, is again, this wasn't at the Santiago Bernabeu. This was at the Camp No, but that Pep Guardiola 5 nothing demolition of Real Madrid that you have to say that was maybe the the best moment or one of the best moments that didn't have a trophy at the end of it at the end of the match should I say that in Barcelona history that might have been the 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 best individual match that Barcelona have ever played that didn't have a direct trophy win I wanted to add that as well Um, I was thinking about the smiley face of Piquet like never-ending bigger smile in the history of humanity and um, this hand he raises and this hand sort of becomes sort of magnifying again. It's the biggest hand ever with his five fingers proudly demonstrating and showing and basically putting it in their faces. That's the five goals we scored against you. And uh, going back 20 years as well, I was thinking, it's not my favorite moment, but it's a very memorable, naughty, funny moment. It's when Stoichkov stepped on the referee um, in the early 1990s. That was a terrible thing to do, but... um, it was fun at the time. Well, we've got two quick, easy, fun questions. 
Joe says, do you see the refs messing up with Barca yet again? Seen it before in the league. And I think my easy answer for Joe is that it's not just Barcelona. Unfortunately, we don't have the time or the resources to watch every game around the Liga. But it's not the officials that have had a problem so much this year as it has just been, again, the goal line technology and the lack of technology in the Liga is not doing so well and not giving a good look for the league. Yeah, the answer is yes. I do expect the referees to mess up with Barca in the future. And yes, I will be disappointed when that happens. Uh, but yes, it probably is inevitable that they're going to mess up again. And yeah, that's where we are. We just have to live with it until they try to find a solution, which in a way is not even guaranteed that they will. So yes, they will mess up us again. And finally, Rehan asked, can Paulinho finish ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo in the Liga goals? Yeah, he can, can he? I mean, if he scores... Um, at this rate and Ronaldo continues at this rate he will be ahead um, that's pure mathematics so yeah he can yeah he can I, I don't think he will but again he's the leading goal scorer for the midfielders in the Liga and so that's not too shabby and he is on a good run of form at the moment and again you expect Ronaldo to find his form sometime this year but Hopefully by that time, as we mentioned, Barcelona are going to be plus 14 in the table. So we won't have to worry too much about that man from Portugal, as we always seem to. All right, well, we can probably continue to say negative things about Cristiano Ronaldo on next week's show. That'll be, of course, after El Clasico. So we thank you for listening to our El Clasico preview, where we broke everything down about the... Again, the biggest match of the season so far this year. And thank you so much to, for listening and enjoy your holiday season, Frances. We did. We were going to sing, but I don't know. I, I feel like we're going to need something else if we're going to sing any Christmas tunes. Feliz Navidad. Ti, 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 ti. Feliz Navidad. That's it. That's all you're getting. Thank you. For... Nothing from me. Nothing. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, please remember to share the show. Tell all your cool friends about us. Um, that's how you help us grow, and we are very, very grateful for your questions, for your comments, and everything that you do for us. And we, it's a pleasure to be here with you every week. And of course, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Corsa Barça. Bon Nadal! What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX command simulated.